Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Communion Sunday, November 4th, 2012. The message for this morning, Who's in Control? by Pastor Ryan Cochran, is based on James chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 6. Lord, we hear convicting and challenging words today from your servant James. Lord, I pray that you would give us a humble heart to hear them. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. May the Lord be with you. Jesus said that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Today we're going to be talking about two of our treasures, two very valuable things that each of us have, but at the same time are very limited. In fact, many of us often probably feel like we never have enough of these two things. And these two things must be used wisely. These two things are our time and our money. These are two treasures, two gifts that God has given to us. And where these treasures are, there our heart will be also. The way that we use them and receive them reflects something about our heart. So time and money are are the two topics that James addresses at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And just to remind you that really the focus of of James' entire letter and a theme that runs throughout his letter is this idea that our faith and our action cannot be separated. If we say that we have faith in God but have no work that comes from that faith, then our faith isn't real. Our faith is useless, James tells us. And so James addresses two very practical concerns for us today, how we use our time and how we use our money, and invites us to ask the question, is what we say about our faith, is what we say about who we believe Jesus is as our Lord, is that reflected in the way we use our time and our money? James seems pretty ticked off in this passage, doesn't he? Seems pretty angry. He doesn't mince any words in this passage, and like so much of his book, we're we're not wondering where James stands. We know very clearly about where he stands. You know, a few weeks ago, I I expressed my surprise at, uh, at the reaction that I got from people when I told them that I was preaching from the book of James, and how many people came to me and talked about how much they loved this book, and it surprised me, because in verses like these, James tells me that I'm not in control of my life. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't like to hear that. I like to be in control of my life. And James's words remind us today that we are not in control at all. While all of us spend time planning out our lives, as James talks about at the end of chapter 4, our lives are just a vapor. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. While we spend a lot of time planning out our months and our years, while we think that our time belongs to us, James reminds us that our time is not our own, that it belongs to God and must be used 
in his, as if we acknowledge that it comes from him, as if we are stewards of it. James talks in this passage about hoarding up money, and we hoard up money so that we can feel safe and secure, so that we can feel in control. But James tells us that the truth is that any money that we store up here, and that isn't used to express our love for God and neighbor, that in eternity, while we see those now as an asset, that in eternity, those things are going to be a liability to us if we do not use them for Christ and for his sake. James tells us that the money that we hoard away without acknowledging that it belongs to God, the money that we use for our own sake, for our own comfort and safety and security, when we use our money so that we can feel like we are in control of our lives, if we use it that way, that it will eat our flesh like fire, James says. James's words are are very relevant, I think, to us. We all struggle with how we use our time and how we use our money. It was certainly true to the people who first heard his letter and also true of us today. And it seems that these two things that we've been given, time and money, that we often use those things as a way to try to control our lives rather than as a way to express that we believe that Jesus is in control. Our time and our money and all of God's gifts that are given to us are to be used in a way that express that we believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is in control. Last week, we we spoke about the way that our tongues and the way that we use our tongues reflect something about our hearts. And the same is very true about the way that we use our time and our money. The way we use our time and our money reflects something about our hearts. On this, James agrees with his brother Jesus that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Time and money, two great treasures that we have, they've been given us to us by God. They are limited. We have to choose how to use them. And the way that we choose reveals the posture of our heart to God whether we believe that we are in control of our lives and we need to use this time and the money in order to be comfortable and safe and secure and in control here, or are we using it to express that Jesus is Lord and that we trust in him? So let's first talk about what James says about our time. In verses 13 through 17, James talks about how we view our time, and the the example that he gives to describe how maybe many of us think about time is the example of some merchants who sit down together and start to plan out what they're going to do. And they say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go off to this town, and we're going to do all of these things, and we're going to make all of this money, and things are going to be great. And James says that they are boastful and proud. What is James getting at in these five verses? Two months ago, Katie and I began to make our plans to go to Indiana at Christmas time. This required a lot of planning. We needed to speak with the elders about some of the the thoughts that we had about when we'd be away. Had to begin talking with uh, Pastor Isaac and, and Pastor Bob and other pastors to make sure that things were taken care of here. We had to contact our family and ask them when would be a good time for you for us to come and to be there. We had to contact our brothers and make sure that if we're going to be in Indiana, that they're going to be there too so that we could spend time with them. 
And we had to hop online and find out if we could afford to even go to Indiana this year. We had to think about whether we should fly to Vancouver or out of Seattle and, and what we could afford to do and to think about our time. And we spent a lot of time planning this trip. Is James telling us that we weren't supposed to do all of that? Is James telling us that that was wrong, that in fact that that was a sin? I don't think so. And the key to understanding what James is getting at is in verse 16. James says that as it is, the way that many of us consider our time in our planning, as it is, you boast and you brag. James' concern is not planning itself, but it's the way that we view our life in our time and the plans that we make. Too often they are made without any reference or consideration of what God would want from us, without any prayer, without any consideration, James says, to the shortness of our life, without any sense that our time, our future, belongs to God and not to us. And when we make our plans in this way, and when we just assume that this is the thing that we are going to do, and isn't it going to be great without any reference to God and his plans, we are boasting. We are acting as if this time is our own, and we can simply use it as we would want to. And James tells us in these verses that there are two things that we must remember when it comes to our time. First of all, that our time here on earth is short. The planning that we do in our lives does not often take into account the shortness of our life, does not take into account what is eternally important. In our lives, we we make plans for our vacations. We make plans for our education. We make plans for our careers. We make detailed plans about our retirement. We spend time doing all of these things. I think James wants to ask us is, As we're doing that, are we considering the shortness of our life? And also, as we're doing that, do we take also time to make plans for God? In prayer, do we come to God and and confess the shortness of our life, life and ask him how we can use our time in order to increase our love for him? Many of you, uh, including myself, as I've already said, this next year will, will probably make some plans to go on a vacation. Like me, we'll sit down and consider your budget, consider what you can do, and plan out a large portion of your year, a significant portion of your year, to go away and to enjoy yourself. How many of us would make plans to set set time aside for two days of prayer, or two days of study and reflection on the shortness of our life and asking God, if we're really living for what is important. We make plans for all of these temporal things that we enjoy, and that's right and good. But do we make plans in our spiritual life as well? Do we take the time to sit back and ask God if we're living for what is really important? Our life is a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow. And the plans that we make are often made without considering how short our life is. The second thing that James wants us to consider in light of our time uh, is that God is in control of it all. 
I love verse 15. He says, instead of making all these plans without reference to God, he says, instead you ought ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Not only if it's the Lord's will, then we'll make these plans to go on vacation, or if it's the Lord's will, we'll make these plans for our church. If it's the Lord's will, we will live. If it's the Lord's will, we will live. Jesus reminds us, James reminds us, that we only live if the Lord wills it. The daily provisions that you need in your life, the very fact that you woke up from your sleep this morning, the very breath that you just took, it's all given to you because the Lord wills it. If the Lord lives, we will live and go and do this and that. Rarely do I, rarely do I live with this kind of awareness of my dependence on God. Rarely do I live with this awareness of the giftedness of each of our days and each of our moments. The plans that we make often reflect the assumption that life will simply go on and that this day and this time and that this future belongs to us, that we do with it as we please. Our life is short. Jesus is the Lord over it, over it. And if we are going to do anything worthwhile, if we're going to live our lives in a way that matters, we need to recognize this giftedness of our days. Look at verse uh, 17. This verse really confused me for uh, much of the time that I've been looking at this passage. After talking about this, this boasting and making all of these plans, in verse 17, James says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. For me, maybe as you read it, it makes sense to you, but it just seemed to be disjointed. It seemed to be out of place. He's talking about all of these plans that people make, and then he says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And so I've been thinking about what this verse means. I want to suggest to you that verse 17 invites us to live now in the present moment rather than in our future. Right now, God has good for you to do. And many of us know the good that we ought to do, but we don't do it. Often we hold off on the good that we want to do until the plans that we have for our own lives have been fulfilled. Until we get married, until we finish college, until we have a certain amount of money that we think we need for retirement, until we get to this point on the ladder, whatever that ladder is, we wait until those plans have been fulfilled rather than doing the good that God has for us right now. Anyone who knows the good that he ought to do right now and doesn't do it, sins. Let's consider our our money. The next topic that James talks about, our money. He begins this section in the same way that he begins the discussion about money, with a call to listen. Now listen. Now listen. Pay attention. Now listen, you rich people. 
And then James goes on to give some of the clearest and harshest words of judgment that are found really anywhere in Scripture. Really, the only other place that you see these kinds of words spoken are, are Jesus when he speaks to the Pharisees or, or the prophets in the Old Testament when they're speaking uh, to Israel. These are harsh words to us today. And it's really easy for us to read the words of Jesus or the Old Testament prophets or of James, and they just seem so extreme that we just kind of ignore them. James could not possibly be talking about me in this passage. I want to invite you to this, this morning to come to these verses humbly. And for the next five to ten minutes, to simply assume that you are being addressed in some way by this word today. That James has something to say to you. James begins this section with, Now listen, you rich people. Are you and I rich? For many of you, it may not feel like it as you may be just trying to to pay the rent this month. You may not feel rich, maybe not feel like this text is addressed to you. But as you know, in comparison to most people in the world today, in comparison to the pe- most people in the world throughout history, all of us in this room are incredibly wealthy. Now listen, you rich people. I invite you to humbly come before God and consider these words that are addressed to each of us today. There are a lot of things that could be said about these six verses. Um, the things that James are addressing here. We could, we could talk today about uh, the dangers of consumerism and uh, the way that that really destroys our soul if we understand ourselves to be consumers and that that's the way we identify ourselves. Uh, that's rampant in our culture. We could talk today also about some of the injustices of the global economy and the reality of that and how you and I are often unwilling contributors to those injustices. We could talk about that today from James chapter 5. I believe that those words are there. But today what I want to do is to stay with this theme of believing that we are in control of our lives and how we use our money in a way to grasp control of our lives rather than giving them to God and recognizing that Christ is our Lord. I'm going to stay with this theme of us believing that we are in control and using this gift that God's given to us in order to maintain control of our life. In verse 3, James speaks about hoarding our money. And in verse 5, he speaks about living in luxury and self-indulgence. These are words of warning against the view that our wealth is giving to us for the purpose of bringing us comfort and safety and security in this life. The scriptures call us to a different view of what our money is for. Money is a tool. It is useful. And the scriptures tell us that it is useful to gain a secure foundation in heaven. For those who are rich, for those who have money at our disposal, for those of you in this room this morning who have food and clothing and shelter and also other income to do with what you want, our money is then to be used in order to express our salvation, in order to express our belief that Christ is Lord. But there's something about the nature of money and wealth that lead us so quickly to forget God to put our hope in it rather than in God, and to use it in a way 
that makes us feel like we have control over our lives. And this is why Jesus said that it is so difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The reason it is so difficult is because the rich man is always tempted to hope and trust in his riches rather than in God. It's hard to look at the things that we have, the material goods that we have, and to turn away from them and to place our hope in God. But turning away from them every day is the rich man's only hope. As we're living in Canada, this very prosperous nation, most of us in this room are in the top 5 or 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. Our only hope as rich men and women is to daily turn from wealth and turn to Christ. And if we don't do that, the scripture says we will be eternally lost if we do not daily turn away from placing our hope and our trust and our comfort and our security in this wealth. James says if we do that, it will eat our flesh like fire. It will be the judgment on us if we do not turn from it. In Paul's letter to Timothy, like James, he also gives a very severe warning about the dangers of money. But unlike James, he also gives us a positive view of money and how it is to be used. So we'd like to go there today. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verses 17 through 19. Paul is just as clear of the dangers and trappings of our money and how if we put our hope and trust in it, then we will perish with our wealth. But Paul also gives us hope in this as well. He tells us what our money is actually for. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. Paul writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul's message here is that God has given you wealth, that he's given it to you as one means to do good to others, as a means to express your salvation and your love for God and your neighbor. Paul's teaching is clear. Having money is not wrong. In fact, Paul says it's a good thing and a sign of God's blessing. But what Paul and James both say is that those riches have one purpose. And they are not to give us a greater sense of security and comfort and control in this life. Your wealth is just one more way to give you security in the age that is to come. Your wealth is just one more way to do good to others. Just one more way to express your love for God. Just one more way to express that you believe that he is Lord and that you are not. Like all of God's gifts to us, our time and our money is given to us as a gift in order to point us to God, to remind us of him, 
and to be used as an expression of our love for him and our love for others. But we find this as such a challenge. I find this as such a challenge because our time and our money, they're, they're so tangible. And it's so frequent how, frequent how we have to decide how we're going to use them. And it seems as if we own them and if they belong to us and that they can be used in these ways that really give us a sense of security. But James and Paul in the scriptures remind us that they are to be used in order to be an expression of our faith. I'd like to read a section from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In this passage, this is before Israel has entered into the promised land, this this land that is going to be filled with, with riches and wealth and a land flowing with milk and honey. And the Lord knows that when they go there, and they receive all of these good gifts, that they're going to be tempted to forget where the gifts come from. And I think Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 6 through 18, I think that these words uh, are so appropriate for us as a people who live in a land that is filled with wealth, as a people who are wealthy. These words, I think, remind us of our posture towards our gifts and our posture towards God as we think about receiving them. This is what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 8, verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving to you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will be proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strengths of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenants, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. In this passage, Moses is reminding the people that it is God who has given them blessing. He saved them by his mighty hand and brought them out of slavery and will bring them into a good land. It was God's work. These good things come from him. I don't think that we are much different than the Israelites. Deuteronomy 8 is as relevant for us as it was for them. 
We're tempted to receive God's good gifts, our time and our money, and to use them for getting God, to use them without reference to him and his purpose for our lives. Because they're in our hands, we're tempted to say, my power and the strength of my hands has enabled me to do this, and so now let me use it as I please. We are tempted to do that. We are invited by James and the rest of scriptures to use this money, this time that we've given differently, to use them as gifts of God and to use them as a way to express our faith in him. And so I want to invite you today to ask this question about these treasures of time and money. How can we use them in a way that says to God, Lord, all of this is yours? It's very easy for us to segment our time, segment our money. This is the part of my time. This is the part of my money that I'm going to give to God. And then the rest of it I can use kind of guilt-free in the way that I want to, as long as it maybe doesn't hurt anybody. It's easy for us to segment our time and our money. This is what belongs to God. This is what belongs to me. It's easy to ask, how little can I give to God so that I'm okay? But I invite you to consider today how you could use these two treasures, our time and our money, in such a way that says to God, God, I believe all of it is yours. My time does not belong to me. It is not given to me for my benefit alone. Help me in the moment to do what I ought to do. God, my money is not my own. It is not given to me that I may gain a more secure foundation here. It is given to me to gain a more secure foundation with you. How can I use it today? to show you that I know that it all belongs to you. This is the question that I invite us to ask today. So let's spend a couple of minutes in silence asking God, as we've heard this word today, how we can, with our time and our money, use these things in such a way that show him that we know that it all belongs to him.